Uh, I want you to think way back. Way, way back to fourth or fifth grade. Fourth or fifth grade geography class. When you study stuff and you learn stuff about the world and you looked at maps and you looked at globes and, and you just learned things. Um, and so here's a map. It's kind of hard to see. Um, but as you can see, this is a map of what? Mediterranean, it's the, it's the Mediterranean Sea and everything uh, surrounding it. Uh, there's Italy over yonder. Um, just barely can see the top of, of Egypt. All around the right-hand side, look at this. There's Jerusalem and Haifa uh, and then you've got Damascus, which is now where? Damascus is in Syria. Uh, and finally you get up to Antioch right there at the top. Now this is supposed to be a map of, of the world at, at the time of Christ or you know, shortly thereafter. Some of it's a little off, I think, but at least I didn't have to draw it. I want to call your attention to Cyprus. Can y'all see, you see where Cyprus is? Uh, there it is. Woo. It's a miracle. Uh, so there's Cyprus. And um, you see it's not very far away from Antioch up there. So we're going to talk about some stuff today that happened in Cyprus. Um, some very interesting stuff is going on here. It's all, this is the, really the next step. If this is, if, if the book of Acts was written like a set of books or a set of movies, we've finished with, a, we've, like the Lord of the Rings is like three books, right? So we've just finished book one. Now we're sort of moving into book two, um, which is, uh, has to do with the, with the first missionary, Paul's first missionary journey. But we'll talk about that more in a second. Let me just remind us of some things. I'm, I, I never tire of reminding us about this because this is the, the most important single fundamental reality of being a Christian is that everything we do Everything we say, everything we are is a result of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to tell what you've experienced everywhere you go with miraculous results. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to get through whatever you need to get to get through with miraculous results. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal God's presence and power in you with miraculous results. The Holy Spirit is going to help you understand what God wants you to do with miraculous results. The Holy Spirit is going to work in your life to, to renew you and to revive you and to restore you with miraculous results. 
the Holy Spirit, God's presence living in you, is the is what gives meaning and reality to the Christian life. Without the participating presence of the Holy Spirit flowing in us, through us, in miraculous ways, we're just a bunch of people sitting around reading an old book trying to talk ourselves into doing better and trying harder. The Holy Spirit living in us is the answer to the lie of do better, try harder, and everything will, and then maybe you'll get lucky. So this is, in chapter 1, verse 8 of the book of Acts, as Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples and go up to heaven, he said, wait, because things are going to be awesome when the Holy Spirit comes. Don't freak out. The Holy Spirit is going to take over from here. The presence of God living in, right in Gene Hall's, Right in there, where, Gene Hall, where's the Holy Spirit living? Yeah, right here. That's right. I mean, the Holy Spirit is coming. So don't despair. It's going to get better. You're going to be able to do the same things that I did. And what? Even greater things than I did. Because the Holy Spirit is coming. The devil steals that. You know how long it takes the devil to to make us forget that? It's like one flat tire, one disagreeable phone call, one bounced check. All of of a sudden, we are not flowing in the Holy Spirit anymore. We are back in the world. Um, What was that? We were talking about cubby holes the other day. Gene, remember that? The the three different, uh, like the where we're back to this in the flesh and um, Gene and I was at the age where we have conversations and we don't remember what they are so we can have them again. <laughs> no, but um, just we're back in the flesh. We're back in um, the world of flesh and the devil. We're back in uh, the uh, lust of the eyes, uh, the lust of the flesh. The, the, the deceitful pride of life. It just, boom, it just happens. Uh, this is the only place we're safe, and this is the only place where we are intended to live, is in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't function any other way. When, when Paul was, was whining to God about the, the uh, thorn in the flesh, God said, wait, you're weak. I made you weak on purpose so that I could fill you up with my power and the world would be astounded. The world isn't astounded when they look at, well, look at old brother so-and-so. Look how smart he is. Look how much of the word he knows. Uh, Look at sister so-and-so. See how pure she is. See how holy she is. I wish I could be like her. No. Who is it that we're supposed to be like? Jesus. Who is it that people are supposed to see in us? Jesus. How is that going to happen? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way we were created. God said, I created you to be weak, a weak crackpot, so that I could fill you up with my power. Don't forget that. We forget it every day, all the time. Don't forget that. We could take up the offering right now, but I have some more slides. Um, Okay, so last week, remember... uh, 
well, a couple of weeks ago now, they were, they were at Antioch, which is now the center of the church. <clears throat> Jerusalem is no longer the center of Christian activity. That's all, and just, boom, just in a handful of years. Now it's moved up to Antioch. We saw it where it was on the map. <clears throat> and Barnabas and Simeon and Niger and Lucius uh, and, of Cyrene and Menaean uh, and Saul, which is sort of like the, the 1927 Yankees gas house gang. Uh, this is the all-star team. They're up in Antioch, and they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them to do. So they did. If you want to hear from God, listen to this. If you want to hear from God, if you're in a situation now where you really need to hear from God, ministering to the Lord and fasting, they were worshiping, and they had dedicated a period of time where they weren't going to eat, they weren't going to watch TV, they weren't going to uh, play solitaire on their computers. They were just going to be in the presence of God, praying and fasting and dedicating, focusing their attention on God, for, not for the purpose of telling God what to do. Do you see this? Do you understand this? They were ministering to the Lord and fasting, not so that they could tell God what to do, but so that God could reveal himself to them. Worshiping, Fasting. If you want to hear from God, if you want to see God move, if you want to move where God is moving, if you want to go where God is going, worshiping and fasting where you just shut down everything else for a period of time. And I'm not saying it has to be a week or a month. Uh, just an afternoon would be an improvement. Um, so that you're focused on pouring out your heart before God and waiting on Him uh, then God revealed this really big thing. Boom. I, I'm starting a new work, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them to do, and they did. All right, that was awesome. And it was all of God, completely of God. And so now we're here today, baby steps. This is, as they're starting to move, <coughs> uh, they're taking some baby steps here that are really important. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, y'all, before, you, before we impart, before we uh, launch out on anything, before you launch out on anything, before you take a step, make sure that you're being led by the Holy Spirit. I know that seems os- obvious, like <laughs> clearly obvious. We'll come, in a couple more chapters, we'll come to a, a point where everybody in Jerusalem was having a meeting. Uh, and they were praying, and they came back and said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Don't get that out of order. Don't pray and then decide something and try to talk the Holy Spirit into it and then come back and say, we had this great idea, it seemed good to us, and we talked the Holy Spirit into our side. No, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and that seemed good to us after we heard from the Holy Spirit. So make sure whatever endeavor you launch out into, big or small, make sure that you're being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Uh, It takes longer to to do the worship and and the hearing from God, but you're going to be... In way better shape. So, being out by the Holy, sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, obviously, the reason 
that they went to Cyprus is because that's where God wanted them to go. But sometimes God is very practical. You know, some, sometimes God just does things in a certain way, in a certain order, because it makes sense. Uh, God doesn't always have to put you in an impossible situation so they can work miracles. He can work miracles in normal situations. Good for a good thing, too, right? So, so they went to Cyprus. Here's a couple of things you need to know. Remember, you saw on the map how close is Cyprus to Antioch. Yeah, just pretty close. You saw Rome is way over there on the other side of the map. Cyprus is just like, it's like the English Channel. I mean, it's just right there. So it didn't cost very much money, first of all. Uh, it wasn't a very difficult trip. It wasn't scary. But here's something that I didn't know, and maybe you probably didn't know either. Saul and Barnabas are on this trip. Barnabas is from Cyprus. So God, this is why I still refer to it at baby steps. It's not a very long trip. It's not a very expensive trip. Uh, and God decided to send them to the place where Barnabas already knew a bunch of people, where he knew the culture, where he knew the people, where he knew what was going on. <clears throat> um, and kind of like we talked about on Wednesday night, One of the best places to begin to share the gospel is where? In your neighborhood. With people that you already know, with people that you already have connections to. It's scarier uh, sometimes because we have to live with them no matter what. Uh, but they're going back to Barnabas' hometown because that's where he has some connections. Which I think is pretty clever. So they... Uh, when they reached Salamis, could you, do you suppose you could pronounce that word Salamis? No, let's just say Salamis, or Salamis. Uh, they, began, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Again, stop. You've heard me talk about this before, so I won't dwell on it. But Paul's missionary strategy Starting here, well, actually starting in Antioch, but for the rest of his ministry, Saul's missionary strategy was to, whenever he went into a new city, he went to the synagogue first. He went to the Jews first and gave, to give them the opportunity to hear the gospel because they had been waiting for a Messiah to come. So they were they were the, the audience that was most likely to understand what it was he was talking about. <clears throat> and they had been yearning for the Messiah anyhow. Um, and they would understand as he was explained to them that, about the law and the prophets and how that it was now being fulfilled. But there's another reason why um, he would always go to the Jews first. Tell me what it was. You're absolutely right, um, but you don't get a cigar. <clears throat> All in favor of Gene Hall not getting a cigar today, say aye. Okay. <clears throat> because, but, <laughs> because here's, 
Here's another thing. Yes, uh, Paul certainly had a heart for the Jews, but it was on this trip that he discovered God was sending him to the Gentiles. Uh, And that's going to come up like in the next slide. Because here's what happens. There are a lot of people all across the, the Roman world, the Roman and Greek world at this time, who were hungry for... Uh, a spiritual experience that made sense. All of the religions around uh, were pantheistic. I mean, there was a lot of different gods, and they all, and they all did a lot of different things. And most of them were weird and selfish and crazy. And and so a lot of Gentiles uh, appreciated one God who had high integrity, who made promises and kept them, who had uh, a strong moral fiber to it. Uh, and there were, so there were a lot of things about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that, that some Gentiles appreciated, but they didn't want to have to, to keep all the Jewish laws. They didn't want to have to be circumcised. They didn't want to have to go jump through all the Jewish hoops. They didn't want to do the do better, try harder part. They just wanted to have a relationship with a God who says, I love you and I forgive you because I love you and I want to forgive you. And so when Paul went to the, the synagogues first, he usually found a lot of people hanging around at the back who came to listen to the lesson and came to hear more about this God. And he would tell them about what Jesus had done, which meant that they hadn't, didn't have to do do better or try harder anymore. And they would, they would then follow Paul wherever he wanted to. The, the Jews who accepted the gospel would get on board, and all the Gentiles who were hungry for the gospel would get on board, and then he would take them someplace else, and they would start meeting together, and they would start a church. And that's what's going on here. They began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues, and they took John Mark along with them as their helper, which means he passed out all the handouts and uh, made sure people had their cell phones turned off. They went to the whole island as far as Paphos, which was the capital city, and they found a magician a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, a guy named Sergius Paulus, who was a man of intelligence. Sergius Paulus was the governor of, of Cyprus. He was the Roman-appointed governor of Cyprus, which means he was like the top, tippity-top-top official there. <clears throat> But he had a lot of top tippity top top officials in those days kept a spiritual, we'll call him a spiritual advisor with them. Uh, Roman generals, emperors used to seek out uh, fortune tellers to predict, well, if I go into this battle, what's going to happen? Or the, all the crops are dying, what should I do? And so um, Sergius Paulus had one of those uh, fortune tellers, his name was Bar Jesus, which just means son of Jesus. And Jesus was, uh, uh, well, actually, the, the, the Hebrew word, uh, Joshua, was a common name. It wasn't, didn't have any messianic semblance to it. It was just his name, son of Jesus, son of Joshua. This is a guy who's the son of Joshua. He was a magician <clears throat> then the, uh, or a sorcerer <clears throat> in the same way that when Jesus was born, three wise men came from the east. Those were also magicians slash sorcerers. People who had some, who, who pretended to, to understand mystical things and had the ability to tap into mystical powers. 
And so you wanted people who understood mystical things and could tap into mystical powers. You wanted those dudes on your side. So he went out and he found one. Uh, it says Sergius Paulus was a smart guy, but he still needed somebody whispering in his ear uh, to connect him with the spiritual side. And he was hungry. Oh, yeah. So then, then so Sergius Paulus, he, he summons Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, wait, I thought his name was Bar-Jesus. Well, this is a translation thing. Um, he apparently was also called Elymas, which means, which is Arabic, and it means the wise one or the skillful one. So he's, but, but the skillful magician, for so his name is translated, got in their face and started opposing them, trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. <clears throat> for lots of reasons. First of all, he could be out of a job, threatening his position. Also, if he's really dabbled in spiritual powers and has some sort of demonic question, uh, connection, then how happy do you suppose the demonic darkness was that the proconsul might turn to Jesus? It's like, no, no, no. Uh, so the forces of darkness rise up in the heart of Elymas, and he starts, we don't know what he said. We just know that he was opposing them. And this is a very fearful, I mean, a very forceful, in your, I'm going to fight you off kind of word. I'm, I'm going to make you stop talking and I'm going to make you stop listening. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to shut it down right now. But Saul, oh wait, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked this dude right in the face. Just like, you talking to me? You talking to me? Looked him right in the face and said, please stop that. How wooed. Uh, look, I'm, I just need, just, would you just let me finish? I mean, I'm, we're having a conversation here. Uh, you'll get your chance to talk in a minute. Looked the guy right in the face and he said, you, you, who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. <laughs> Be, well, how interesting, Paul. Uh, I think I'd like to know more about this Jesus. Um, what else can you tell me? Boom! Where does this all start? Fill with the Holy Spirit. None of, none of the rest of this stuff happens at the end. The rest of this page doesn't happen without being filled with the Holy Spirit, without relying on the Holy Spirit, without trusting in the Holy Spirit, without following the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit's power to th flow through you. This is not... An, uh, Paul was not winning an argument here. 
Paul was not trying to reason with this guy. He was letting the Spirit of God flow through him and letting God speak through him. I'll get to that more in a minute. Uh, but you've got to see this here. Did you see this little thing that passed by? But Saul, who was also known as Paul, from this moment on, through the rest of the book of Acts and through all of his letters, Paul stopped being known as Saul and became known as Paul. It's not really, it's not as significant as you may think. He was probably, um, Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was the Greek version of his name. So in this little, very subtle change that happens right here in Acts chapter 13, what, what is the significance of him suddenly switching from Saul to Paul? Bingo. Bingo. Boingo. At this... At this <laughs> <laughs> he, he, at this moment, at this point, it was completely clarified that from here on out, Paul was going to be the missionary to the Gentiles. Um, and, but it just slipped, a, you know, uh, Luke, when he's writing it later, he just kind of slips that in there, no big deal. It's just, uh, if you're not paying attention, just go right over your head. <clears throat> All right. Um, I, th- I also thought this was nice. In the middle of when he's beaten down the, we're having the big throwdown, and he was beaten down Elymas. Says you're going to be blind and not see the sun, for a time. Even at this point, God's merciful. And Elymas, God's going to get your attention. First of all, I just need you to shut up and go sit down. Um, but this isn't the last forever. God will give you a chance. Um, to open your eyes and see the truth. Ah, uh, and, and the proconsul believed uh, when he saw what had happened. It's always, when somebody gets saved, it's always their response to what the Holy Spirit does, not their response to what you do or say. The, the devil keeps trying to trick you into thinking, well, I'm not going to share my faith with him because I'm going to do it wrong. Or I haven't, I'm not prayed up enough. Oh, this is a trick. <laughs> the devil comes to you. I mean, you see somebody that needs to be ministered to in the name of Jesus, but you think, well, you know, I haven't studied the word in almost two weeks. My prayer, I haven't prayed all enough. I'm just not worthy. I'm not ready. I'm too weak. I need to get really built up for this. Um, it's not about you. It's about the power of God in you. And if God presents you with an opportunity to minister to somebody, you don't minister to them in the name of James. And I like James. I think everybody likes James. Anybody here that doesn't? See, everybody likes James. But it's it's not where I want to... We don't minister to people in the name of James or the name of April. We're ministering in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of reasons why it's, it's great to be prayed up. There's a lot of reasons why it's important to study the Word. There are a lot of reasons why you want to be aware of the presence and power of God every day. But if something happens, if God brings you into a situation where you don't think you are prepared, 
Is that necessarily a bad thing? No. I mean, here's, here's Paul having a big fight in, uh, about the, with the thorn of the flesh, and he's really mad at God and saying, God, make this stop, make this stop. And said, no, I like you, weak. I like you, unprepared. I like you, freaking out. Because you have to trust me. <coughs> you have to reach out and trust me. Proconsul believed when he saw what had happened. And what happened was a demonstration of the power of God. A lot of commentators don't really know what to make of this passage because apparently <clears throat> apparently in seminaries they don't teach prospective pastors to command people to become blind if they're causing problems. You have pastoral counseling courses for that. You have conflict resolution courses for that. There are not any courses in seminary on how you just pray for people to become blind if they're causing problems. Which is another reason why you should make sure that you're being led by the Holy Spirit and not just going off half-cocked. This, is, this was a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Barclay's commentary, Mr. Barclay says, all he says about this whole thing, these three or four sentences right here, all he says about this whole thing is that uh, Elymas confronted Saul and Saul handled it. Let's move on. <laughs> um, um, but... Uh, the truth is the Holy Spirit handled it, right? Uh, and we're not, um, we're not going to judge what the Holy Spirit does. You just have to be sure that you're not pretending to be the Holy Spirit when this comes up. All right. So when confronting darkness, here's, here's a few rules or a few suggestions. Uh, when you're confronting darkness, when you're, when you're confronting a situation that rises up and is trying to steal, to kill, steal, or destroy, kill, steal or destroy the work of God in your life. There's a handful of things that are important to remember. We saw, and we saw them play out here. Uh, first of all, surrender to and rely on the Holy Spirit. Fair enough, right? Have I made that point enough? Don't think that there's anything you can do about it. It's not about you. It's not about your ability. It's a, it's, it simply drives you to your knees to, to be a surrender to the Holy Spirit all over again. Uh, because this is not about you. Sometimes hard, threatening, scary, frustrating, overwhelming things come into our lives. And it looks like they have the power to kill and steal and destroy. And we feel helpless against them. But this is not about you. You are a vessel, not a victim. Turn around and look at somebody. Get right in their face and say, you are a vessel not a victim. You are a vessel, not a victim. And then say it to, my, to yourself. I am a vessel, not a victim. We feel, when, when things start getting hard and scary, we start feeling sorry for ourselves. We start wanting to freak out. We start wanting to give up. We start thinking, oh, here we go again. Uh, I can't... 
God, I can't take this for another second. Please make this stop. It's not fair. It's not right. Now you slip into that victim mentality and you're paralyzed. You are a vessel for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through you. You are a vessel for his love, to be wrapped up into his, in his love and to pour that love out for others. You are a vessel for his power, for his presence. You are not a victim. The devil wants you to think you're a victim, but you are a vessel. Let's say this really loud. I am a vessel, not a victim. Say it loud enough for those people out there. Ready? I am a vessel, not a victim. Do you hear that, devil? I am a vessel, not a victim. All right? You've got to get yourself kind of psyched up for that. Don't be intimidated. Magician, sorcerer, all sorts of scary things can come out. Things that, that look hard, things that look powerful. Giants in the land. You want to go all the way back to the Old Testament? Giants in the land made you feel like grasshoppers. How many of you have ever confronted, been confronted by something and at least temporarily felt like a grasshopper? You know what that feels? Ah, oh, grasshopper. No, you've got, you just feel weak and puny and tiny against this thing that looks too awesome, too scary, too horrible, too threatening. Don't buy into that. Don't buy that because... You just have to be bold and stand your ground. When the enemy's coming at you, when a threat is coming towards you, we've talked about this before, right? When the devil is attacking you, when the devil is coming against you, when something dark and scary is hitting you in the, getting you right in the face, what is it that the devil wants you to do? He just wants you to quit. Just quit. He just wants you to give up and walk away he, he just wants you to give up on what you know God has called you to do. And I think, in spite of the fact that we struggle and squirm sometimes, most of us have a pretty good understanding of what it is that God really has called us to do. We're just afraid that we're too small and we can't do it. And so when a threat comes at us, then we're like, oh, no, now what? I was just barely going to be able to pull this off anyhow if I, if I worked really hard and tried really hard. Now there's this big giant attack coming at me, so I might as well just quit. That's what the devil wants you to think. Might as well just quit. You might as well just give up. You might as well just walk away because you can't do this. You're going to lose. You're a loser. You're a weak. You're a failure. Tell me something that I don't already know. Um, But this isn't about me. I'm not a victim. I'm a vessel for the power of God. Right? All the enemy wants you to do is give up. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Let's say that because we're a vessel, right? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. No matter how ugly the world looks, no matter how powerful darkness looks like in the world, guess who's greater? Jesus is greater. Greater is he who is in me right now than than whatever it is that's going on in the world. (coughs) Whoever it is that's doing it, whatever it is that's happening, whatever that seems to be coming right at me, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. 
So don't give up. Stand your ground. Don't give in to fear. Face it. Look it right in the eyes. We, when, when something's coming at us, we have this tendency to do something like this. When, we're, when the attack comes at us, we have a tendency to go, right, you know? I can't look. It's too hard. It's too scary. I'm going to go in my prayer closet. And I'm going to lock the door. I'm not coming out. And we shudder and we freak out. We get sick to our stomachs. We worry. Paul just fixed his gaze on that dude. Fixed his gaze. Just looked him right in the face. Don't give in to fear. Face it. Don't give in to worry. Face it. Don't give in to fear. Name it and declare the truth over it. It's important to remember this. Fear is almost always based on speculation about stuff that has not happened yet. And in the vast majority of cases will never happen, but it's this issue of the own unknown. And, oh, no, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. What do we do? What do we do? What if this happens? 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 What if all this happens? What if this doesn't happen and this does happen? It's like, what if, what if, what if, what if? Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. A part of it just hit me on the head. Um, here's, here's what I know. When God says, fear not, I am with you. I am with you as Emmanuel. I am, I'm the great I am, which means I am, I'm in the present. I've handled the past. I'll meet you in the future. There's no place where you can go where I am not with you. So we worry about stuff in the future as if God wasn't going to be there already, dealing with whatever it is that needs to be dealt with. We worry about all these things as if, first of all, as if they were going to happen when most of the time they don't, and as if there's not a solution for it by the power of God when you need the solution. Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow. Because why? Because today has enough stuff to worry about already. You don't need a solution today for something that might happen a month from now. Because God will be there and he'll be faithful. Fear is based on speculation instead of faith. So lean on what you know is true. Fear tries to suck you into stuff that may or may not ever happen based on speculation. Lean on what you know is true. And we can start with this. If you don't know anything else that's true right now, you know this. You are deeply loved by God. So what does that mean about the future? What does that mean about the present and the future? You are deeply loved by God. You are fully accepted by God. The devil's going to tell you, God's not going to help you because you're just screwed up again. You aren't ready. You didn't pray enough. You are completely and permanently forgiven by God. 
which means God has nothing, there's no accusation against you. He can't even find any evidence against you that, you've, that you're every, anything except holy and blameless. Uh, completely, permanently forgiven by God, lavishly blessed by God, and you are eternally, perfectly embraced by God as his child, a child who brings him unspeakable joy. These things we know are true. They're true now. They will be true in the future whenever the future gives here, gets here. God is faithful now. God will be faithful in the future when, it gets, when the time comes. When the time comes for you to have the answer, you have Jesus who will always be the answer. You have a defender who will be defending you if you need defending. You have uh, all wisdom who will guide you if you need to be guided. You have a provider. Uh, you have a healer. When the time when you need whatever it is that you need, God will show up. He will be what you need because he is all you need. And when the source of evil comes flying at you, it's trying you to forget that and to just see yourself as weak and helpless and insignificant and somebody that can't ever get anything done and can't do it right because we just don't have enough resources. And Jesus is just saying, just stand your ground. Fix your gaze right on that thing and say, devil, you're a liar. You are the father of lies. The truth is not in you. Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. I am deeply loved. I am fully accepted. I am permanently forgiven. I am lavishly blessed. I am eternally perfectly braced by God as his child. And I am not going to budge. I'm going to stand my ground and see his glory. You know, the one thing that darkness has a hard time overcoming light. You know this, don't you? Uh, We talked about this before. This is a little basic principle of physics. Somebody give me a, a definition of darkness. The absence of light. Uh, what? Yeah, you can. But all it takes, if you're completely in the dark and you can feel it and you light just one match, what happens to the darkness? It's, it's gone. It's instantly gone. Darkness has no power over light. Ever. It's not like, oh no, here comes the darkness. It's going to put out all of our lights. It doesn't. It's physically, by the principles of physics, I mean, impossible for that to happen because darkness is just a place where nobody's turned on any light yet. And when you, when you, when the light of the world shines out of you, Darkness does not, as is a promise in the word, <coughs> uh, the light shone into the darkness, John chapter 1. The light shone into the darkness, and the darkness could not do anything about it because that's the nature of darkness. Darkness is, the, is weak in the presence of light. Okay? Does anybody want to say... Let's nod vigorously or say amen. Amen. 
Okay. All right. Um, the, the light that flows out of us, the truth we have in us. You just aim that in the presence of that darkness. You fix your gaze on it. You turn on your light. And the darkness does not have the power to steal from you anymore. Okay? Well, let's do one more amen. amen. Oh, boy, that, that, doesn't that feel better? Aren't you glad you stayed awake for the whole thing? <clears throat> Father, in the name of Jesus, we agree with you. We agree with your word when it says we are weak, Lord. We also celebrate your promise that when we are weak, you are strong. We're in the middle of darkness, you are our light. When we are under attack, you are our defender. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the outcome is secure. The battle is won. The victory is yours and we belong to you. And I want you to look at, I want to stop right now. I want you to, to envision a situation that you are in right now or facing that where you just feel some sense of darkness or helplessness or hopeless and it's kind of crowding in around you, whatever that is. So put yourself in that situation just really briefly and then I want you to get, uh, get out your flashlight, your flashlight of the Holy Spirit. You're in this darkness. I want you to just aim your light out into that darkness. Turn, that, turn your flashlight on. Aim that light right into that darkness, right into the center of it. That beam just cuts through, and suddenly you can see the way out. Suddenly you can see the Savior standing there. Suddenly you can see the, the ocean parting. Suddenly you can see the angels and the flaming swords. Suddenly you can see the victory. Follow that light. In Jesus' name, amen.